Hey everyone, I am Reva and just want to take a moment and thank you for listening to our studio podcast. Although we are here in Greenville, South Carolina, we are grateful for your support to see the message of Jesus go out all over the world. In case you are not aware, we have a YouTube channel, which you can find the link in our podcast bio. We hope you enjoy this week's talk and it encourages you and it helps you to be the human God designed you to be. So with that, let's get right to it. All right, good afternoon. Hope you're all well. We are actually going to continue the Holy Spirit series four. And this may be it right here. So at least for the time being, um, but we're going we're gonna to go into part four. And it's been a lot of fun. I know we've, we've done a bunch of groundwork, and I know for some of you, this might be the first Sunday, so you may have missed the first three, or some of you may have um, been a one or two or three. They are, they are sequential, meaning they are building upon each other, but at the same time, they are standalones. And so if you haven't listened to any of the other parts, uh, just go on our podcast, and you can look up Holy Spirit 1, 2, or 3, and you can find it there. Of course, it's all for free. And while I mentioned the podcast, um, I was kind of interesting. Our number one location outside of America that listened to studio every week is Australia, between Sydney and Melbourne. And so if you're listening to this and you're from Sydney or Melbourne, we see you. And uh, our church says hi to you. So if you're there, uh, we're actually going to be there in September. We're going to be in Sydney for uh, doing a conference in September. So if you're in the area, come see us. And uh, if not, come visit us in Greenville. We love Aussies. Do we have any Aussies in here, by chance? Oh, that's a problem right there. Every church needs an Aussie. It's just, it's, it's almost a given, so. All right, well, let's get right into this. Um, I don't have a lot of time, and I want to respect everyone's time, especially the workers in the back working with our kids, and we don't want to drive them too crazy. But we are going to do a quick review, just a one-line review for each week. Week one, we covered the idea of the Spirit of God living in you. A diverse in Scripture said, do you not know that the Spirit of God dwells in you? So we kind of unpack the idea that that's God's heart is to dwell within you. Week number two, we talked about Paul's perspective on the Holy Spirit and Luke's perspective on the Holy Spirit. They're not contradicting, they're actually complementary. And oftentimes when you start discussing Paul's views or Luke's views, what some people do, they pick one or the other. What I encourage everyone is to approach it from a both and approach. Paul emphasized the Holy Spirit's role is to help you. The only way to become a new creation is with the Holy Spirit. In fact, if you study Paul even more, he said, you cannot follow Jesus without the Holy Spirit. So Paul emphasizes more of the new creation dynamics of the Holy Spirit. Luke, he was a physician, he was a doctor. So he is definitely in tune with people's health, with sickness and disease. And so his emphasis on the Holy Spirit was around the power dynamics of the Holy Spirit, uh, bringing healing, signs and wonders and miracles. So for us here as a community, as a culture, we're not picking Paul's view or Luke's view. Luke's view. We're picking, we're doing both and. We're understanding new creation because of the Holy Spirit and at the same time the power dynamics of the Holy Spirit of Luke's perspective. So that's what we covered in week two. Last week we covered more around the Hebrew definition of the word spirit, which is ruah, which is wind. It's where we get our word pneuma, 
or pneumatic. For the contractors out there, nail guns, pneumatic gun, comes from the Greek word spirit. But the beautiful part of this idea of the ruah, it's actually, it creates life wherever the spirit hovers. In Genesis, talked about the spirit hovers above the void of the darkness, and out of that creation took place. And when the spirit overshadowed Mary, the mother of Jesus, she conceived and eventually gave birth to the Messiah. So where the spirit is, life follows. This is what I want you to get from last week. It's understanding the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life creates life. So if you are in a spot today and you are lacking life, guess who brings it? The Holy Spirit brings life. Not just breath to your lung, not just in a physical sense, and that is the dynamic, but it's actually dimensions and layers to the wind of the Spirit, what creates life wherever the Spirit resides, hovers, or overshadowed. And so we cover that a bit in week three. This week, we're going to move into a different dimension of the Holy Spirit, and this is not the final by any means, but for this series, most likely this will be our final talk, at least for the moment. <laughs> Wednesday morning, I might wake up and say, never mind, part five coming. I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> Who knows? But I definitely want to um, do my best to wrap this up. And this is, these four weeks, I think it's safe to say there's no way you can fully cover this topic in four weeks. It's just not even humanly possible. But we've been approaching this topic more from a study standpoint. For some of you, it's been a complete new introduction to a part of God you didn't know existed. So for some of you, it's been more of an introduction. For the others of you, you've been aware of the Holy Spirit, but you didn't have much of a foundation from a biblical standpoint and even a theological standpoint, and in some spaces, experiential standpoint. For so far, I know for some of you, this is foundational. Others of you, this is a refresher. I've had several of you come up and say, no, I've never, I kind of forgot all this. It's been so many years. So for some of you, the last few weeks have been a refresher. And then others of you, it's just an expansion of your understanding of the Holy Spirit. So we've been on this journey at looking at the Spirit of God. And one thing you can clearly see in Scripture is the role of the Spirit of God in the landscape of human history. When you look at the Bible, you, can, it is, you cannot go very far without seeing the Spirit involved in humans. It's, it's almost impossible to go through scripture and not see the role or the evidence of the Holy Spirit in people's lives. And it's through scripture we see these unusual, bizarre, and remarkable moments of when the Spirit of God inhabits a human being. You have Elijah who outrun horses because he was empowered by the Spirit of God. You have these amazing, but some of them are so bizarre, you read them and go, I don't even know where to put that. I don't have a framework for it. And other of them are just flat out remarkable, where the Spirit of God is evident in people's lives. And I want to continue to draw our attention to this reality. This is available to everybody in this room. And as you look at the Holy Spirit, I would want you to be aware that God is very intentional. And with his spirit, he closed the gap of time and space with humanity. Because the spirit actually lives in you, it's actually accessing someone that's in the eternal space. And this one, I, I know I want to talk about this down the road, but there's a passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 10. It talks about the spirit searches the deep things of God. 
I mean, just, just try to wrap your mind around that reality. That the Spirit is constantly searching the endless, the infinite dimensions of who God is. And the Spirit is searching the deep things of God for you. So when the Spirit's in you, it's not just for the moment to make you a great person. It's actually connecting you to something that crosses the crosses the barriers of time and space and you now access the eternal dimensions of who God is. So understand, this is an endless conversation. If you feel like you've exhausted your understanding or experiences of the Holy Spirit, I would propose to you, you haven't even scratched the surface. So for some of you, you've been walking with the Lord a long time and you have a lot of experiences and understanding with the Holy Spirit. You can write books and volumes. I would propose to you, you barely know the Holy Spirit. That's the exciting part of this conversation. The exciting part of this conversation is the reality. There's so much more to God than we will ever be able to comprehend. So I hope that in any of these conversations we've had, it's actually compelled you to be curious. It's actually invited you to a space to ask questions again. And sometimes when you get familiar, you need to become a novice all over again. So today we're actually going to continue the study on the Spirit of God and we're going to focus more specifically on Luke's perspective, which is more the power dynamics of the Holy Spirit. The outward dynamic, not just Paul's perspective, the what's happening on the inside, but Luke emphasizes it on the outside. So today's conversation or study is based around three questions. If you want to write these down, I would encourage you. The first question is, why the Spirit? Why? Why is this important? Why is the power of the Spirit important? Second question is, how do you know the power of the Spirit's in you? So how do you know is the second question. And the third question I'm going to hopefully address is, what's next? So three questions I want to frame our conversation around today is, why the Spirit? How do you know? And what's next? So let's start with the first one. A really good question for each of you to ask is, why does God want to empower me with his spirit today? When you read history, you read the Bible, it makes sense. You see someone get touched by God, filled with the spirit, and something happens. We see the beginning and the end. So a question that you and I should ask, we should at least be curious about, is why would God want to put his spirit in me? in the essence of power, the expression and the dynamic of the power of God in my life today. Like, why? And I'm amazed at how many people don't get to that point of ask, why? They either reject it, assume, or they just don't know what to do with it. So today, I want you to wrap your heart around this idea. Why the Spirit in my life? You see, the entire premise of being a disciple of Jesus is to leave your life to follow a teacher. When you study Middle Eastern context of being a disciple, it wasn't a part-time situation. It wasn't on the weekends. It wasn't, I got a couple hours a day to dedicate to this thing. You left your entire life. You left your family. You left your livelihood. You left everything so you could follow someone. And this was common practice. And we see it in the gospel where yet John the Baptist had disciples. 
Different rabbis and teachers had disciples. And the goal of being a disciple was to talk like the one that you're following, to live a life like the one you're following, to actually think like the one that you're following. So being a disciple requires you to leave everything to follow the one you've chosen to follow. So with the assumption that there's a handful, if not a lot of us in this room, we have made a decision to follow Jesus, which means this, I want to follow every aspect that I see in Jesus in the Bible. Not just one or two things, but everything that he demonstrates. But we see him teaching about morals and character and ethics. Jesus was the most profound, revolutionary teacher on these topics of moral, ethics, he would, he would counter culture in every way. When culture was saying do this, he would say, no, this is how we do it. But if we reduce our discipleship down to that, we're actually missing out on one of the most profound things that we see in his life. And we see this other dimension that's connected to power, which is an expression of signs and wonders and miracles. The ability to take a small lunch and multiply the food to feed thousands of people. The ability to make mud out of dirt and to put it on a blind man's eyes and the blind man begins to see again. The ability to touch one of the most contagious diseases ever known to humanity called leprosy. And Jesus, as the priest, who they were not allowed to touch lepers. But Jesus, being the high priest, was flipping the script on how you function. And he said, no, we now touch the sick. So Jesus is violating every cultural norm, biblical, religious, political norm. He's violating that all because he's demonstrating the spirit of God is in me. We now touch what's sick. We now reach out and multiply food. We walk on water. We do things that are not humanly possible. Now some of you might say, well that's because he was Jesus. He's the Messiah, of course. And so a lot of people end the conversation and say the reason why, it's good, that was him. I mean, he's, an, he's a unique figure in human history. And of course, he's got to have all the stuff. Well, we have to remember he also instructs us to do the exact same things he did. He actually tells you, hey, do these things. And there's several places. The one I'm going to choose right now, the end of Mark chapter 16, verse 15. I'll read it to you. You can write it down in your notes. He said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved and whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name, they will drive out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up snakes, which we might need around here in South Carolina because there's a lot of them. They will pick them up with their hand, and when they drink deadly poison, it will not hurt them at all. They will place their hand on sick people, and they will get well. The point is this. What lives in you is greater than anything outside of you. So there's no way to actually accomplish this thing if we don't embrace the entirety of the life of Jesus. Embrace the morals and ethics and great Christian values all you want, but you're only getting an aspect of who Jesus is. Until you embrace the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. 
So some will say it's because of Jesus. Now, some will actually say that the whole power dynamic of the Holy Spirit ended in the early church. The whole point of the power dynamic of the Holy Spirit was to start the early church. And if you study Acts and you study into the later part of Acts and even into the New Testament, because there was so much power on the disciples and the leaders and the people in the early church, the church exploded in numbers, exploded in salvation, and people were getting healed and saved by the thousands. And some will actually argue, oh, that was just to get the church started. There's actually a belief system called cessationism. And cessationism is spelled with a C. Cessationism is the idea that signs and wonders and miracles and the prophetic died in the early church. And some will say if it didn't die when all the disciples or apostles died, it died within the first 300 years or 300 A.D. And you fast forward a little bit, there's a man, famous theologian, probably one of the most influential theologians in all of human history, his name was John Calvin. Some of you have heard of Calvinism. And John Calvin was a cessationist in just about every way, but he had an interesting loophole in his theology. And the loophole was this, that if there's signs and wonders and miracles, this would post the early church. If there's signs and wonders and miracles, then it's because it's just to help the church get established. But once the church is established, there's no longer a need for signs and wonders and miracles. Now here's my question. If the very thing that built the church, why would you take it away? The very key that got you into that room, why would you take that very key away? Now the evidence in my own lifetime proved that John Calvin was wrong. I have seen miracles. I have seen hundreds, if not thousands, of moments where someone gets touched by the power of the Holy Spirit and they get physically healed, they get emotionally healed, and they get mentally healed. So I just want to propose to you, it is alive and well today. What I want you to understand, you cannot read Scripture and you can't see that the power of the Holy Spirit is not essential. If you don't think the power of the Holy Spirit is real or essential, then you pretty much need to get rid of creation. Because the Spirit of God hovered and life was formed. The Spirit of God overshadowed Mary and she conceived and gave birth to the Messiah. And when Jesus died on the cross, guess who brought Jesus back to life? The Spirit. So if you don't believe in the power of the Holy Spirit, you have to pretty much discount a bunch of scripture. So let me ask you another question. So it was Jesus, so that's why. Okay, so we've talked about that. The second one is, oh, just for the early church to get them started. There's another question I want to say. Well, you may say these big events, those are big things in the scheme of all of human history, these big moments that you're talking about. But what does the Spirit have to do with me? Like, why? What does it have to do with you? Why is it important for you to understand the reason for the Spirit of God in your own life? So the big why is this. It, Jesus has invited you to participate in his mission. He had actually invited you to participate in his mission to see all of humanity liberated from all sickness, from all disease, from all mental issues, all social issues, 
all issues known to humanity, Jesus has invited you to eradicate that in your lifetime. Now, some of you, I know you're like, well, that's, that's not who I am. That's not on my life. Well, I'm inviting you into this dimension. I haven't seen it happen yet. Well, guess what? It will if you move forward. So the question is, why the Spirit? Because Jesus wants you to participate in his mission. He's not asking you to be an observer. He's not asking you just to be a believer and a champion of what's happening. He's actually asking you to be a participator and walking out and seeing the kingdom come and the power of God demonstrate. Your faith does not end with you. Just having faith in God doesn't mean, oh, just end with me. I get to become a good person, have good morals, have a good conscience and great ethics. It doesn't end there. It's so much beyond that. And I'm, and I'm a little worn out on people reducing the Holy Spirit down to just a bunch of good ethics. I love all that stuff, and it's valuable and it's important, but let's not reduce God down to a bunch of ethics and morals and values. It's more than you. It's actually so you would get a heart for humanity. And I've learned, I mean, this is, this is Eric's perspective at what I'm about to say. I've noted there's a correlation between your heart for humanity and your hunger for the power of the Holy Spirit. There's a huge correlation there. And one of the reasons why we talk about humanity a lot in this space, because we're wanting you to carry a burden for humanity. We want you to carry a desire to see humanity set free. So this whole idea of the power of the Holy Spirit isn't just for you. It's actually for humanity. And Jesus has actually invited you to participate in the why the Spirit of God's in your life. Let's go to question number two. How do you know you are empowered by the Spirit? How do you actually know? Is it because someone said, oh, I see it on you? Or is it something you sense and feel? Or is it something that God tells you at 3 a.m.? I mean, what is this thing? I mean, where's the checklist? Like, where, where do I look to see if I meet those qualifications? John Wimber says this. He said, any teaching that says you have been born again and that you, quote, got it all, and you must not expect more or seek a further empowering of the Holy Spirit is not biblical. There is a difference between salvation and being empowered by the Spirit. There's a difference between being converted to being saved by the blood of Jesus and then being empowered by the Spirit. There's a difference. And there is a common belief that because I put my faith in Jesus, that means I've got it all. It's not biblically accurate. Then there will be no reason for Acts 2, Acts 3, Acts 4, finish out the rest of the book of Acts. There will be no reason for any of these moments where the Spirit comes upon people. So if you have said yes to Jesus, the question is, am I actually empowered by the Spirit? Have I actually been what we all call baptized in the Holy Spirit? So something I want to help you grasp and recognize is the difference between salvation and to being marked for what we call for the works of ministry. What are the works of ministry? We're going to go over that in just a little bit here. So how do you know if you are empowered by the Holy Spirit? Here's a couple things. This is not a definitive, absolute list, but these are some indicators, some indications, and some clues to know if you've been empowered by the Spirit. 
In Acts 2, it's not just an inward expression of the Spirit, it's actually an outward expression. In other words, someone sees it on you. And there is something that happened outwardly. When you read Acts 2, the day of Pentecost, people observed, oh, they're speaking in tongues, there's fire on their head, and they aren't acting normal. Something's different. And the, the events that followed Acts 2, people are getting healed, dead people are getting raised from the dead. There's an outward expression of something that lives within you. So one indication or one clue is it's not just an internal work of God. It's actually happening on the external in your life and the people around you are experiencing the evidence of the Holy Spirit. The second indication or clue is you actually begin to prophesy. Now the word prophesy includes speaking in tongue and what's also called ecstatic praise. Now that one, I don't know how many of you are actually familiar with that, but there are beautiful moments where someone gets touched by the Holy Spirit and they can't stop erupting in adoration of who God is. So the word prophecy, we have reduced it down to just foretelling someone's future. It actually means ecstatic praise and it means speaking in tongues as well. It's a much broader term. So references, so in Acts chapter 2, verse 14, it says, Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd, fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem. Let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. So in this moment, Peter's filled with the Spirit, and he brings direction and clarity to what's happening around them in this moment. I remember a story from my mom. I was actually in college at the time. And my mom had this encounter with God, had this encounter with the Holy Spirit. And I've heard my dad's description. My dad's description was this, that your mom changed after that. She went from a lamb and she became a lion. Like she changed the level of confidence and courage that was not existent in her life. I know many of you only know her as this pretty resolved woman. And some of you don't know who she is. She's passed away now, but she, her legacy continues to live on. But my mom had an encounter of the Holy Spirit and a boldness came on her that wasn't hers. So sometimes the evidence of the Spirit in life is simply boldness and courage to do things that you would never do before. You don't start telling people to get up from a mat because they can't walk unless you have a confidence in who lives in you. So the evidence of the spirit in your life, sometimes it boldness and courage to do something you would never do. Let's continue. Act 10, 44. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. For he heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. So the evidence of the spirit on the Gentiles that was a shocker. With this reality, they were speaking in tongues and they were praising God. It was evident, oh, the Holy Spirit's now on them. The third indication or clue is the Spirit overwhelms the person. Some may experience shaking, falling. You may feel heat, you may feel waves of energy. Sometimes in worship, and I know it's happened in this space every Sunday, you feel something that's not you. That's the evidence of the Holy Spirit touching you. The fourth one 
It empowering of the Spirit comes down with the laying on of hands. Not the only way, but it is a way in Scripture. There's several references. If you want it for your notes, write these down. Acts 8, verse 17. Acts 9, verse 17. And then Acts 19, verse 6. Talked about the laying on of hands. It's actually a transfer. In biblical terms, in theology, it's called impartation. Something is moved from one person to another person. So when you see people laying hands on each other, it's because it's a biblical practice and the belief and a theology around the idea that when we lay hands on each other, there's a transference of what's going on here happens here. If you, some of you are newer to the Christian community, and you probably say, extend a hand. Like, why are we extending a hand? I just like, is, am, I, am I, you know, Darth Vader here? I mean, what's happening here? No, it's actually a belief that something is transferring by the laying on of hands. As weird they may look and as peculiar as it may be, it's actually within scripture. Okay, the third question that I want to address today is what's next? We've spent three weeks now our fourth week talking about the Holy Spirit, laying a foundation, the desire of God to be in you. He wants his wind to consume you, to build you into an amazing new creation and to see you walk in the power that you are designed to walk in. We've got Paul's understanding, we've got Luke's understanding, and now we know all these things. So what's next? It's safe to say that God had the work of conversion, which is salvation, and a work of empowerment. So understand that when God's in your life, he's actually converting you. He is saving you and making you a new creation, and he is empowering you to do the works that you could not do prior. I want you to pull up the first slide, if you will. These passages that you're going to see, if you want to take a picture, go ahead and take a picture of this. These passages are primary passages that deal with what's called the gifts of the Spirit. So when we talk about what's next, we now get introduced to a world of what we call the gifts of the Spirit. There's another phrase in Christian biblical terms called the fruits of the Spirit. That's a result of the Spirit in your life. This is not the fruits of the Spirit. This is the gifts that the Spirit of God gives to humans. The five, five main passages are in front of you. It's actually six if you count. 1 Corinthians 12, 1 through 11, and then verse 28 through 31. Then Romans chapter 12, verses 3 through 8. Ephesians chapter 4, 7 through 16. 1 Peter 4, 10 through 11. And Hebrews 2, verses 3 and 4. The last two references actually don't talk specifically about what the gifts are, but talked about why and the role of the gifts in your life. The reason I want you to see this, I want you to understand there's actually multiple angles on the gifts. And many say, well, there's only this many. There's actually, it's actually a really healthy discussion. It's amazing how we as humans are trying to reduce it down, everything down to a list. It's only five. It's only nine. It's only seven. Well, now it's 15. I mean, what is the number here? And what I want you to adopt, I want you to adopt a posture of flexibility around the conversation of the Holy Spirit. This is where we get into so much funky situation where it's only new creation or it's only signs and wonders. I'm like, it's actually all of it. So when we talk about the gift, there needs to be some flexibility because it's fascinating that none of these passages, specifically the first three, the Corinthians, Romans, and Ephesians, the whole point of the book wasn't about the gifts. 
That wasn't the main topic. Paul was not saying, hey, I'm going to show you what the gifts are. He's addressing all these other issues and then slips this in. Why is that important? If I understand, we have to synthesize a little bit. So we're going to do that. So if you could go to the next slide. The next slide is a little bit of a synthesization of each of these gifts. I'm going to read these to you specifically because the podcast people can't see this slide. But the first Corinthian passage that I gave you is actually a list of nine gifts. One is the message of knowledge, which is also known as a word of knowledge. You have faith. You have gifts of healing. You have miraculous powers. You have prophecy, the ability to distinguish between spirits, and you have different kinds of tongues and languages. Also, the interpretation of tongues. Now, if you go down to the second 1 Corinthians passage, which is chapter 12, verse 28 and 30, you get another list of nine. There's some overlap, but then there's some new ones. You have apostles, prophet, teachers, miracle, gifts of healing, helping, guiding, speaking tongues, and interpret tongues. Now, let's go to the Romans passage, Romans 12, verses 3 through 8. It's actually a list of seven. Again, there's some overlap prophesying, serving, teaching, encouragement, giving, leading, and showing mercy. And then let's go to the last but not least, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. It says, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. I want you to see all of this because I want you to understand that when you talk about the gift of the Spirit, I would encourage you to take, not take the approach of getting it down to the smallest final number. I want you to understand that we're talking about something that is infinite. We're talking about a part of God that has no end. And yet we're trying to reduce it down. I don't want to water it down to the point like, oh, everything goes. But we hold on to lists so tightly. It's five. Some of you in here are like, I only, I only go with the Ephesian passage. That's the only one I like. Most people pick the 1 Corinthians 12, 8 through 10, the first nine. They're like, that's it. That's the complete list. And all the other ones, I don't know what to do with that. We start getting very funny and compartmentalized around it. And I would like to propose maybe we don't have the whole picture. Especially when Paul is not actually, this is not the main point of these letters. That wasn't the main topic. And Paul is introducing a world. So what I want to say is this. You can't pick and choose the gifts. This isn't a Christmas list. God, I want these five. It's not how this works. It is by the grace of God, he chooses which one or which ones to give you. So spend less of your time trying to go, which one am I? Or which three do I have in my life? And spend more time saying, God, I just want more of you. Because what I see people do, they say, man, I got the gift of healing, but I don't have mercy. And I don't want to show any mercy. (laughs) I'm like, man, if I had a choice, if I was God, all of us would be getting mercy. And we do, this is what we do, like, no, I only like these three. I don't want to be generous. I don't want to help people. I don't want to guide people. I want to be an apostle. I want to be a prophet. And I want to work in miracles. And I don't want any of the others. And I'm like, actually, I think you want the others. (laughs) 
Okay, I do need to end. So that slide is for your benefit and to just get you to hold it a little bit more loosely and ask God for more. Ask God for more. And oftentimes you'll find yourself asking for the ones that you ask you don't need. That's a whole other conversation and I'll leave that out there. So let me end with this. My personal thoughts on gifts and how they pertain to you. Instead of working toward a finalizing, a definitive list of what gift or gifts you have or want, hold all of this with an open hand and understand there's a lot going on here as we are talking about a God who is infinite. And in my own journey on this and watching thousands of people approach this, one thing I have seen that had they been helpful is getting locked in and approaching these gifts as a destination then using it as an excuse to not participate or be open to the other ideas of gifts in your life. So why don't you stand? Thanks for listening to today's talk. If you're interested in learning more about Studio here in Greenville, you can go check out our website, studiogreenville.com, and you can give us a follow on Instagram. Our handle is studio.greenville. Have a great week.